Proverbs 28 and 1 says this, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why don't we pray together uh, that God's word will accomplish what he sets it forth to do, that our hearts would be open to receive it. Lord, I thank you for your body. I thank you, Lord, that I get to be a part of the body of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint my lips this morning. Your word is already anointed, God, and I pray that you would, uh, our hearts would be opened, our minds would be ready to receive so that your anointed word can be planted down inside of us. Lord, I believe it will fulfill its purpose, God. Uh, if the soil of our heart is good, if the soil of our heart is ready to receive, Lord, we can see it bring forth fruit in our lives. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And as I began to seek the Lord about what to teach this AM, um, kind of the craziness of the week and everything going on uh, with that, I'm thankful that it's, it's Sunday again. This is one of those weeks where it just feels like it's decades long. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. But here we are in the house of the Lord again together. I felt prompted to teach uh, on boldness uh, and connected, no doubt, to our altar call this Sunday uh, or this last Sunday um, and an incredible time we had at the close of service there. Uh, and as God planted something down inside of our hearts, but uh, as as somebody who uh, tended to a very large garden as a child and has dabbled uh, in, in some gardening myself, I know that you don't just get to throw the seed in the ground and walk away and come back in August and expect to harvest. Uh, there's, there's work and there's effort that's put in along the way. Uh, and so I want to tend to that seed a little bit uh, this, this Sunday. I want to talk about boldness. Now, boldness at times feels like it's an intangible quality. Uh, it's a character trait that only manifests in the moments where it's most needed. Often boldness can be first recognized by the observers because the person that's engaged in whatever bold action or speech has already made the decision in their mind. They've already weighed the risk, whether it's subconsciously or whether it's with full consciousness. They have decided to act, decided to speak, and it's those that observe that first notice, hey, that's boldness in front of us. Boldness is a, you're going to hear the word boldness a lot today, by the way, so buckle up. Boldness is a quality that has been fondly remembered throughout all the pages of history. People have become famous uh, or infamous because of their boldness of speech or their boldness of action. Average is not really written about. If you go to the library right now and you get uh, some, some pages of history, you dig up a few history books, or you think back to your high school or perhaps college history classes, they don't write history books. They don't teach classes usually on average. Average gets skipped over, and boldness is fondly remembered in the pages of history. Cowardice the antonym to boldness, is also what fills great volumes of human history. Perhaps you've heard the statement. Uh, in fact, it was so old I was unable to find it, but it, it came to mind as I was uh, preparing for this this morning. Fortune favors the bold. 
It has been woven in throughout all of uh, essentially any Latin or Roman history. It's a saying that is so old that perhaps it even was around the time of the early church. But there was there was a, a belief that 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 fortune would smile upon the bold. Now, I don't uh, subscribe to fortune, but I do believe that outcomes will begin to favor those who are willing to take bold action, willing to accept risk upon themselves. So what is boldness? Dictionary definition is this. The willingness to take risks and act innovatively, confidence or courage. Now Jared's definition is this. Willing to size up the situation and act or refrain from acting, weighing the potential consequences against the knowledge on hand. Boldness is when we step outside of our comfort zone to confront a situation while knowing either consciously or subconsciously that there are going to be consequences for your actions. When you are willing to step out in boldness, there will be either a risk or there will be both, actually, risk and reward. And those who step out in boldness have decided that the risk is greater or not as great as the reward. Excuse me, sorry. So boldness is closely tied to faith. At its essence, boldness is overcoming the crippling effect of fear. When somebody begins to act in a way that is is taking on risk, they're acting innovatively. They are stepping past fear. That does not mean that to be bold you are in an absence of fear. It means that you are stepping through fear and you're beginning to speak or to operate outside or not being controlled by that fear. John Wayne said it this way, courage is being scared to death but saddling up anyways. Now, I don't know anybody in here that rides horses for fun or anything like that, uh, but allow that definition to begin to tie it together. Boldness is closely tied to our faith. Our faith has to override that crippling, that, that stifling effect of fear. It's tied to a faith in one's own abilities. You can see a great example of this on any sort of sports field where you, you can see the athlete that knows they're good. And they know that they could take the game into their hands and do whatever they need to do to win the contest. They, there's those people, commonly we use that word as clutch. They've got a faith. It, it's Sometimes it's perceived as arrogance. Sometimes it's perceived as as being a bragger. But there's a boldness that comes when you've got a confidence in your own ability to see the event through. They can take the game on their shoulders and perform in such a way. Boldness is faith in another person's abilities or in another being's abilities. Children have a faith that Their parents are just going to catch them, and so they're bold when they take the risk and say, you know what, here we go, and they leap out yelling, Daddy, catch me. They have a boldness, they have a confidence in somebody else's ability to catch them, to hold them. It's closely tied to faith in that it's a faith that the cause is worth the cost. 
There's a boldness that arises when somebody understands that they're serving greater good and whatever it costs myself is worth it. Whatever it's going to to cost me is worth it for the reward on the other side. Now, boldness, like its synonym courage, is seemingly separated from foolishness by only a thin line. The thin line is... Did it work? Because history will begin to look back on those that took a bold leap, and if it did not work, we might remember it as bold, but we will certainly remember it as foolish or foolhardy. I can give you a secular example, if you will allow me just for a moment. Uh, In a previous Super Bowl, it's not really important which one, the team was up, it's fourth and goal, They're up by three heading into halftime. They're a big-time underdog facing a long-standing repeat champion. And instead of taking the chip shot field goal and three points, the coach decides, you know what, I'm going to go for it here. Not only did they go for it, they dialed up a trick play, and they called it the Philly Special. In this trick play, the sixth-round center that was consistently rated as too small to play in the NFL, snapped it directly to the undrafted rookie running back who pitched it to the undrafted third-string tight end who threw the touchdown pass to the backup quarterback who had retired a year ago and been brought back. Each had faith in their own ability Each had faith in the ability of the team to execute the play as it was drawn up. And the coach and the team are solidly praised afterwards because it had worked. If it hadn't worked, it would have been hailed as probably one of the dumbest decisions in all of professional sports. What were you thinking trying to run that play? If it had resulted in defeat, there would have been a a, a backlash against that. You see, your boldness is oftentimes separated or it looks like foolishness to everybody else around you. Has anybody ever stepped out into a place in life where you had confidently heard from the Lord and you stepped out into that area of boldness and everybody around you was like, what are they doing? Where are they going? What in the world are they doing in their lives? A biblical example of this for you, a great example of boldness, is one of my absolute favorite Bible passages in 1 Samuel 13 and 14. There are some serious leadership lessons that can be gleaned. If you chew on, really, if you chew on any passage of the Bible long enough, you're going to be fed. There is word there for you. We, we can sometimes get into the checklist mentality and just read through the word quickly without stopping to meditate, to chew, to eat on what God has given us. So in 1 Samuel chapter 13, The Philistines have swarmed into the land of Israel. And we are watching Saul slowly and catastrophically fail as the king of Israel. In fact, in this chapter is the moment where God tells him, I have withdrawn from you. I've taken my hand off of you. Because you're trying to take too much on yourself, you're offering the sacrifice, I've withdrawn from you. The people have completely fled 
They're hiding in caves. They're hiding in thickets. They're hiding, and Saul is left with just 600 men still with him. It's hard to look like a really regal king when the prophet basically tells you you're a loser, and now you've got an army of 600. And he's backed into a corner, and Saul is preparing probably for his last stand against the Philistines. When his son Jonathan sizes up the situation and looks around him, he assesses the risks and the consequences, and then Jonathan takes bold action. In 1 Samuel 14 and 6, Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Jonathan understood that his boldness was going to look mighty foolish to a lot of people, and so he told nobody. He was confident in the ability of God, and he had decided, you know what, the risks uh, are not as great as the potential reward, and so he decided, I'm going to act. I'm going to do something here. And so Jonathan discovered himself to the enemy. While everybody else was hiding, Jonathan stepped out of hiding. While everybody else was under a bush or a shrub, Jonathan made sure the enemy knew exactly where he was. Now, for those that aren't familiar, that's not typically a a warfare strategy. You don't generally make sure the enemy knows exactly where you are. That, That brings a whole lot of danger onto yourself. But Jonathan had a faith in the ability of God to act and was even willing to die if necessary. And we're familiar, perhaps, with the story. If you're not, it's a fantastic read in 1 Samuel chapter 14. God begins to move mightily. Now, it is of note, and we should, we should pay attention to this, that God did not begin to move in that situation until somebody else stepped out of their fear and stepped into faith. God was willing to wait until somebody else operated in boldness. He was willing to sit there and endure the circumstances until one of his children stood up from where they were, said, God is able to work through me, and stepped out into the unknown. As you continue the narrative in 1 Samuel 14 and 20, Saul and all the people that are with him, they begin to notice there's, there's this, this slaughter going on. There's something crazy happening, and they assemble themselves together. They come to the battle, and every man, the Philistine swords are turned against each other. They're beginning to kill each other. They're confused. They don't know what's going on. And the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, now even they are turning around to be with the Philistines that were with Saul and Jonathan. There were people in the Israelite army that had switched sides and joined the enemy. But when Jonathan began to act, and then God began to act on top of that, they came back. And verse 22, likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them into the battle. You see, Jonathan uncovers for us an important aspect of boldness that we have to hold on to and remember. Boldness and its opposite cowardice is contagious. You acting boldly is going to inspire others to begin to step out of their fear. 
You see, the first step out is the hardest. Being the first one to step out is the hardest. We're, we're all in a place where we rarely want to put our necks out, as it were, to be that first one through. But you're blazing the trail, and each person that comes after you, it gets a little bit easier to follow. You just have to have the boldness to be the first one. Now, this isn't football practice, thank God, although we could probably put together quite a team. That'd be kind of fun. Maybe there's a, a, we can have like an adult night. While the youth are having youth night, we could have an adult night flag football league. Uh, if you want to see that, if, if you want to see that happen, talk to Troy after church and maybe we could get it set up. It's an adult football league. And thankfully, we aren't on the battlefields of Israel. So how in the world does this apply to us today? As you read through the New Testament, there's a recurring theme in the church of the New Testament. There was a constant prayer for boldness. They were facing real challenges. Not only physical persecution, but also societal rejection. To be a Jew and to become a follower of that way likely meant you were going to be booted out of the synagogue, which was the center of all Jewish, not only religious, but just societal life. To be a Gentile mean that, meant that you were most likely going to be disconnected from your family. You were going to be separated. And on top of all that, it became official Roman policy to persecute the church. We read Paul telling the church in Ephesus to be praying always with all prayer, supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then he tells them to pray for him and to pray this, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul realized that he needed the church praying for him to be bold. You're not the only person that's ever struggled with that, that, that ability to begin to bring forth a difficult message. Paul understood that with the church backing him and the church praying for him, uh, he would be able to bring forth that message with a courage uh, that he did not possess in and of himself as he ought to speak. Early on in the early church in Acts chapter 4 is a portion of Scripture that perhaps you're familiar with. There has been a healing at the gate, beautiful. The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, are furious about it. And they pull Peter and John in and they begin to threaten them. They begin to tell them, you cannot preach in that name of Jesus anymore. But we read in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, the prayer of the church. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Instead of praying, God, deliver me from this challenging situation. God, keep them off of them. God, don't let me get beat again by the Sanhedrin. They began to pray for boldness. As you look through the stories of the New Testament church, there's a, a theme that appears in the book of Acts. Every time that the word bold, 
boldly or boldness is spoken of in the book of Acts. It is in a direct connection to the church fulfilling the great commission, whether speaking or preaching the gospel. Every single time. In Acts chapter 4, we've already read it. The Pharisees beheld the boldness of Peter and John. They prayed for boldness to speak the gospel. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 27, Barnabas recounts Paul's boldness in preaching just after his conversion in Damascus. Acts chapter 9 and verse 29, Paul is boldly preaching and disputing with the Grecians in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 13 and verse 46, Paul and Silas boldly stop preaching to the Jews and begin to preach to the Gentiles instead. Acts chapter 14, Paul stays boldly in Iconium declaring the gospel in the face of disputing. Acts chapter 18 and verse 26, Apollos walks into the city of Ephesus and begins to boldly preach in the synagogues. Acts chapter 19 and verse 6, Paul boldly speaks in Ephesus for the space of three months. It's almost as if God was expecting his people in their fulfillment of the great commission to be bold. It's as if God was expecting, even though we're facing persecution, even though we might be facing some pushback, there should be a boldness, there should be something that rises up in the heart of a Holy Ghost-filled apostolic believer that when I'm preaching the gospel, the reward, the potential reward, has to be far greater than the risk in our minds. You see, they were facing physical persecution. We're not facing physical persecution yet. And a convicting thing began to come over my heart. Because the worst thing that happens to me, if I'm bold in presenting the gospel, is that a neighbor or coworker thinks I'm a little bit weird. Now, I'm not belittling that because emotional pain is very real. And the pain of rejecting, and I, I, I can look around this room and almost everybody in this room has had somebody reject them because you stood for truth or stood for the gospel. I'm not belittling that in any way, shape, or form. But as of yet, nobody in this room has ever been beaten for the gospel. Nobody's ever had your house confiscated. I don't think anybody in this room has been completely excommunicated from your family for preaching the gospel. They had a faith in the promises of their God. They had a faith in what God had said. Behold, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. And they decided that the cause was worth the cost. Boldness, again, is contagious. Paul noted as much in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 14 when he said, or when it, the, the letter said, many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I'm telling you, if somebody in this body gets a spirit of boldness upon them, it becomes contagious. It begins as you see, as I see Brother Chemist stepping out boldly in his job, then, then I am more confident. As I see him willing to suffer or willing to face wrath or persecution, it stirs something inside of me, and now I step out. And when this person is willing to be bold on in the school or with their neighbors, it stirs something inside of everybody around you. But I warn you, on the flip side of that, inaction and cowardice is also contagious. When we refuse and we, we understand, we hear, we read, we know the promises of the Word of God, but my cowardice, my inaction will begin to affect the people around me. So how can we increase our boldness? It's something we need. 
like Paul, we, we ought to so speak. And last week in altar call, the call went forth. Anybody that wants more boldness, step forward. And expecting one or two, and everybody came forward. The everybody in one moment. It was, it was actually really cool from this perspective to, to watch it happen because it wasn't like one person and then another person. It was the whole church stepped forward at the same time for that. So how can we begin to increase boldness? One thing that will help is to walk in righteousness. To exist, to live in a state of right standing with God. It is very hard to be bold when you've got sin in your life that you are knowledgeable of. Sin will allow the enemy access to your heart. It will destroy your boldness. It will breed condemnation and feelings of guilt. As Proverbs proclaim, the righteous are as bold as lions. Now, I'm not saying you're a braggart. I'm not saying that you're, you're self-confident or self-holy or somehow holier than thou. But there is a place in Christ where you can exist with a confidence because you know that you have asked God to search you. You know that you've asked God to examine you, to, to walk through the halls of your heart and begin to shine his light. And you've dealt with it. You've, you've worked through it. You see, we're not, we're not worthy and you, you will never fulfill your purpose and your calling in the kingdom if the enemy can keep you focused on how unworthy you are. But newsflash, none of us are. We are all unworthy, but that's the entire point of grace. That's the entire point of God pouring out his love on us and elevating us to a place that we could never get on our own. And now he begins to bring us and give us power to fulfill his plan. What parent enjoys the look of guilt on their child's face? Any parent in this room that has confronted their child about a wrongdoing, and you, you can always, you can see it. It's very visible, whether they're going to go the path of rebellion or whether they're going to bring that look of guilt and shame and say, I'm wrong. You know what I'm talking about? You can see it. And God allows conviction to bring us to a place of action and to a place of repentance. Thank God for the conviction of the Holy Ghost that when I'm wrong, uh, when there's sin in my life, God's convicting power keeps drawing me, keeps pulling me, keeps leading me closer to Him because He understands when I walk in righteousness, I'm going to be far more effective to minister the gospel. When my heart is pure, when I am clean, when my hands... Uh, and my eyes and my heart are pure before him, I'm going to be far more effective fulfilling the commission. But there are times, and perhaps it might be this moment right now for somebody in this room, where you are free from sin, but you're not free from the guilt. You're not free from the shame. You're not free from the self-doubt. And it's interfering with your boldness. It's interfering with your ability to step confidently into who God has called you to be. I remind you quickly of Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, where the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20, If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then 
have we confidence toward God? What's he saying? When, when our heart is not condemned because of past infractions or unrepented sin, we have a confidence toward God to fulfill his promises. See, it's something I've battled with in my life, and I would wager there are those in this room that have battled with it. We, we believe in the promises of God for others. We believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think through Pastor Mark, but not through me. But there's a confidence in God that we have to get to individually. Each one of us has to reach a place where we have a confidence towards God, where my heart doesn't condemn me, where I begin to claim those promises for myself, not just for the Apostle Paul, not just for the Apostle Peter, but for me. Read through the Psalms. David and others frequently prayed with a boldness that I would wager is absent from many apostolic prayer lives. There was a direct boldness towards God to say, God, I have kept my hands righteous. I've kept my heart pure. I've done this, this, and this. And Lord, this has befallen me. Read through it sometime. Begin to challenge yourself to pray what David is praying and say, God, I have been righteous in your sight. Now, if that's not true, deal with it. Like we talked about last week, you've got to bring it to a place where you begin to say, God, search me, uh, shine your light through my heart, and he will because he loves you so much, and when he does, deal with it. Take it out of your life. The other way to increase in your boldness is to know your God. We've mentioned this already and kind of alluded to it in the last section, but there is no substitute for knowing the word of God. I remember being terrified in my teenage years for multiple reasons, but one of them is it seemed like any time I got in a discussion or a classmate was just curious about something, I didn't know how to answer. I didn't know the verses to quote. And so instead, I would just like stammer and get red in the face. Anybody ever been in that situation where, where it feels like everything leaves you and you just don't know? There's no substitute for knowing the Word of God. Not just reading it, but internalizing it, digesting it, memorizing it. Draw yourself out some, some note cards. Fill them out. Memorize key portions of Scripture. If there's a question that comes up at work or it comes up at, in a family gathering, you need to memorize Scripture to begin to bring forth truth every time that's brought to you. There's no substitute for having a prayer life. A verse that came to mind in this section, I've never thought of it in this way before. But in James chapter 4 where he says, you have not because you ask not. I would wager we're not asking because we're not bold enough. Because we don't have the confidence and the knowledge of our God to the degree to which we need to, to be able to say, God, this is what I need. This is what I need you to do for me in this situation right now. God, I believe, firmly desires us to approach him with that attitude. He desires for us to be direct with him. We can, we can pray all kinds of prayers and still never directly ask him for something. And all along, God is saying, you don't have it because you haven't asked me for it. You haven't received it because you've never been bold towards me about it. There is no substitute for a relationship with God. Cliche, maybe, but... The sons of Sceva can give you your quick reference. You cannot be bold 
for Jesus without a relationship with Jesus. It's not possible. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, as we draw to a close here. He's writing this verse in the context of Antiochus. And as the chapter continues, there's an overlap and he begins to discuss the Antichrist. And talking about believers in this day, he said, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. That would be Antiochus and then also by extension the Antichrist. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The closer I get to him, the more I realize that his promise or the more I realize that his promise is true every time. The closer I get to him, the more I realize it's about his grace and not my worthiness. It's about his power and not my pride. It's about him and not my prestige. If we could know God with a deeper assurance, it will plant, it will grow inside of each of us a boldness. It is critical that we be bold towards God. And I'll leave you three portions of Scripture to consider regarding this. I thought about focusing more on these, but this might be your homework assignment. In Hebrews, the writer writes to the Jews who are previously engaged in a very restrictive worship paradigm. There is one man per year bearing the blood that with absolute trembling and fear, one person every year could push into the presence of God. One. And you will not find, there's, there's one mention in, in Ephesians where Paul talks about boldness, but you will not find such direct commands for the people of God to be bold anywhere else as you will in Hebrews. There, there are three of them, and we're going to read each of them really quickly as we close. If you want to write them down, it's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 18 through 20. And Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. Listen to what develops as we read through these. Remember the context as you read this. These were people that previously were in a very restrictive worship setup. Many of them prior to the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Yes, they were devout. Yes, they had walked in faithfulness to God, but there was a a, a wall of separation between them and their God that they were not able to penetrate or pierce. In fact, the the traditions of the Jews would say that, well, the, the Bible itself says that there were bells around the high priest's robe so that they would know when he walked into the presence of God whether he was still moving around and alive. That's how restrictive it was. And listen to what he tells them. In Hebrews chapter 4, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 18 through 20. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, 
his flesh. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. There's a progression as the writer begins to lay it out for the children of Israel. Because God is our high priest who felt everything that we felt. uh, Because he was the lamb that was slain. Because uh, the veil of his body was rent into. Now we're commanded not to approach simply in fear, but to approach him with boldness. To approach him with an understanding of who he is. To approach him through that new and living way which he constantly consecrated for us. He was the one that was bold first. He was the one uh, that went first. And it's easier now for each one of us to follow. And because we know him, uh, we are to let our lives be without covetousness. We're to let our lives uh, be lives of righteousness and contentment with what we have. Uh, There's a promise he will never leave us. He will never forsake us uh, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Uh, I'm not not going to fear what my neighbor can do unto me. I'm not going to fear uh, what my coworker can do unto me. I'm not going to fear uh, what my unsaved mother or sister or brothers will do unto me. Uh, but I'm going to boldly stand uh, on the truth of God's word and begin to proclaim uh, his righteousness, begin to proclaim his holiness, begin to proclaim uh, this beautiful gospel. Why? Uh, not because I'm anything special, uh, but because he's special uh, because he's worthy because he uh, the reward uh, is far greater than any risk I would ever take on myself I know it might seem trite to sit in a safe room uh, on a Sunday morning with no fear of the government busting in here and no fear really of anybody in this room rejecting me or mocking me by what I say uh, but we really do have to overcome uh, this timid timidity, this this tendency towards quietness around those uh, that haven't heard the gospel. In this last day, in this last age, as we stand together, there has to be something that rises up inside of us where we take that moment, we calculate, we look uh, at the reward, we look at the risk, and then we blaze forward. God has called each of us to fulfill his great commission. Your boldness is not going to be an absence of fear. It's not going to. It's going to be an overcoming of the fear. Where the fear is no longer commanding you. The fear is no longer silencing you. But you, in spite of how intimidated you might feel, are willing to step out into action or speech. Now, if you're going to be rude and you're going to be crude, that's on you. I believe you can be meek and bold at the same time. You can be humble and be bold at the same time. It's the example of Jesus Christ. Children, sinners, everybody would come to him, and yet there was a boldness that he would weave a whip of cords, go into the temple, and drive everybody out. There's a perfect balance in our Savior. 
Let's lift our hands together as we close. Lord, I thank you for those in this room right now. I'm so excited to be a part of a church that is moving forward. Uh, and I believe, Lord, we're moving forward into a new place in boldness. I pray uh, there would be a courage planted in the heart and the mind of everybody in this room. Uh, a courage, God, uh, that overcomes fear. Uh, I pray right now in Jesus' name, unstop our mouths uh, that we with boldness would begin to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Uh, come what cost may, uh, I'm going forward. There is a cause. Uh, there is a reward at the end of it all, Lord. Uh, souls will be saved uh, when somebody steps out, uh, out of their fear uh, and out of their anxiety into faith and into boldness. Uh, in the name of Jesus, I